Oh my God, I'm going to fucking kill my daughter. Welcome back to the Mighty Merp Podcast. My name is Tom. I'm Merp's producer. And I need to explain briefly what you're about to hear. At the end of the first segment that you just listened to, Melissa may have been interrupted by one of her children. Melissa, of course, hit pause on the recording, had a discussion with the child who will remain nameless, and then continued her conversation with Ava Murray. Unfortunately, somewhere in there, the record button stayed on pause. So what you're about to hear is immediately after Melissa and Ava believed they had just concluded the entire podcast and Melissa discovered she was actually not recording. Please enjoy this extension of the Mighty Merp podcast. Mighty Merp is available on iTunes, Spotify, and all your favorite apps and players. But the best way to experience the show is to visit MightyMerp.com. That's MightyMerp.com. Oh, man, Melissa. I cannot believe I didn't look. I thought it started playing again. Oh, my God, I'm going to fucking kill my daughter. Tom, I'm really not going to kill her. <laughs> do you do you have like 20 minutes or 30 minutes? I have about 20. I have to be somewhere at 5.30. I am so sorry. Okay. So, um... I'm going to go back. I think we were talking when she came in. I'm so heartbroken right now. We were talking about um, favorite shows that inspired you. Yeah. And I said Allie, Allie McBeal. And um, I, I, I didn't even mention Law and Order. How could I have forgotten that? Ugh. That's, that's how so, I get my detective. That's where I get my detective skills from. <laughs> law and order. That's so funny. I taught at Rowan uh, in their law and justice department for years. And my first day of classes, every time I taught, I, I said, do not ask me about law and order or criminal minds or any of those shows. I do not watch TV and they're not real. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love those shows. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I just, I yell at the TV. I'm like, that's not the way it is. So I do, I do too. I'm like, um, that would never hold up in court. <laughs> so, what do you think the hardest part of being a criminal defense attorney? Um, the hardest part about being a criminal defense attorney is trying to correct, um, to categorically stupid things my clients have done, like not asserting their right to remain silent and actually confessing to the crime and not only confessing, but literally drawing a map of where evidence is. Um, it's like, you know, I'm not a magician. I can't go back in time and correct this error, especially if there are no Miranda issues, right? Especially if you went to the police station three times. Yes. And gave these statements. It's like, how am I supposed to help you? What can I help you? Well, I always um, say that, um, I'm sure you do too. 
that I'm always trying to get the best results best Absolutely. based on the facts and the circumstances of each case. And for every client, that's something different, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I might, you know, I can probably not have you serve the ma the maximum time, but I'll do my best to get you a really good plea offer. And I'm usually, because I'm not going to lie, Melissa, late, lately, most of my cases have been like that, where, you know, it's, there, I don't have much wiggle room based on the facts and the circumstances, you know? So my goal at that point is to obviously make my client a human being to the prosecutor and have them, you know, see my position, my client's position, and give me the best plea offer. So I've been really good with that, except for this last, this current case that I'm trying to fight. Um, but yeah, so that's the most difficult thing about being a criminal defense attorney. Right. I mean, you always have a case or two that um, it's, you know, that I say hurts your heart that yeah. um, either the clients are detained or you believe um, that they're not guilty or you believe they're being overcharged. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and you see this injustice done. And, um, you know, yeah. I like most of my clients. Me I don't too. I don't always like what they did, but for the most part I like my clients and and the ones that I don't like it has nothing to do with what they're charged with ever. Right. <laughs> yes. So um yeah, absolutely. So you've seen the new gun laws coming out in New Jersey? Mhm. Mm and um as a criminal defense attorney, what are your thoughts when you uh, read about, you know, uh, kind of expanding and tough gun laws? New Jersey has the toughest gun laws in the country. The, <clears throat> the thing that upsets me the most is the mandatory minimum. Um, I don't like any of the mandatory minimum laws we have here um, because there's no provision made for folks who made honest mistakes, you know, and an honest mistake obviously does not include firing a, a, a firearm and, you know, at someone committing a crime. The honest mistake is taking the gun from another state where you probably have a license and bringing it into New Jersey. You know, if the prosecutor wants to be this big shot on, you know, hard on gun laws type of prosecutor and they don't agree with the, the Gray's waiver, this person probably going to to prison for three and a half years you know as you know the mandatory minimum is five years but it's it's um it's it's frustrating you know i feel like i get it i get it the entire country should be tough on guns because every day we have a mass shooting i get it but when you make an honest mistake it shouldn't it should not especially something as um as I just discussed, it, sh it shouldn't ruin your life. Right. And so New Jersey um, has these mandatory minimum sentences. If you have a permit to carry in Pennsylvania, really Philly, or in any other state and you come to New Jersey, you're not lawfully carrying the gun in New Jersey. Um, right. An individual is really looking at a maximum 10 years and a minimum five serve three and a half. 
And as you and I know, the prosecutor can uh, offer a diversionary program or probationary mm -hmm. for that individual, but it's the prosecutor of the county that you're in that has full discretion of whether to grant it or not. Right, right. And it's, it's really one of the most frustrating things, like, you know, and my argument is like, he didn't even use the gun to commit a crime. It was just in his glove box. It, it wasn't even loaded. It was just in the glove, glove box. Well, if I give him this, then everyone who breaks the law is going to come here and say, well, this case, you did this. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Yes. Every case is supposed to be looked at individually anyway. Like, you shouldn't be lumping everything together. That's not the way we practice law. That's not the way the criminal justice system should be, you know. Um, so it's like these little silly arguments I, I continuously get, and it's just, I think it's, it's unfair. Right. Well, that's the whole problem with, I think, generally any mandatory minimum sentence, that nobody mm -hmm. can look at the individual standing before the court. And usually, um, and we're talking about possession cases of people that have legitimately lawfully owned the gun where they reside, right. um, uh, you know, are looking at these mandatory prison sentences. So yeah. Right. Um, right. And, and we've had a conversation before about, um, you know, prosecutors wanting to be tough. Um, you know, taking a tough position generally, um, which is always uh, frustrating. Um, what are your thoughts on what kind of makes prosecutors, uh, you know, have that point of view of, you know, state prison, state prison, state prison on, on cases? Because they want to be seen as a prosecutor that's tough on crime, you know, so they can move up the ranks. They can move from whatever current cases they handle to maybe the sex back unit, sexual batch battery unit, so they can make more money, or maybe for the future for a political um, gain, or to, you know, to maybe run for judgeship one day, you know, I, I and I, I get it, everyone has these career aspirations, but you shouldn't use <clears throat> other people's lives as a means to get to where you want to go. Every individual that comes before you should not just be a file or, or a number. That person should come to you as an individual. And you should look at each case that way. These are human beings. They're not stepping stones for your aspirations. Right. And you said it. I always think that the problem is the aspect of, uh, especially the younger attorneys, they're just seeing it as files. They're not seeing okay. the individual as a human with the family with, right. you know, uh, parents or children or spouses, you know, um, with their own, you know, with with their own life and their own, right. you know, uh, own potential and goals as well. Exactly. And, you know, the, 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 the one area of law that, that gets me is the way they treat juveniles. You know, <laughs> I've known this since I was in high school, <laughs> that your prefrontal cortex doesn't develop until fully develop until you're 26, but they treat juveniles as though they're adults. They're, they're giving them these adult sentences. You know, they're making them register as sex offenders. Like 
how can you make a 13 year old register as a sex offender when he serves it after he completes his his sentence mm-hmm. it's like I, I i don't know the criminal justice system is very frustrating it's very frustrating i love my job i love when i get the results that my clients deserve um but then on the other hand sometimes i lay lay awake at night saying to myself and i'm sure you do too melissa like could i have said this what did i do wrong should, should i have done this you know it's very frustrating and and i don't feel like it should be a cookie cutter result for everyone right like i said earlier you should look at the individual right and i i agree with you i i have said to my staff when it no longer hurts my heart when my when a client is detained or i lose a case and i don't care when i no longer care that's when i know i'm done like that's yeah. when i know i need to step away from criminal law because yeah. when you have someone's life and liberty and freedom in your hands and they're relying on you um you know the in you know the idea that it doesn't matter just you you can't be effective that way um and as i said i've said it like when i no longer care when it no, no longer when i no longer uh when it no longer upsets me or i'm no longer thinking about my clients or cases you know right. afterwards i i think like i need to do something else with my life i completely agree i my dad always says to me you're always so stressed out and um you need to take care of yourself i'm like if i'm not stressed out about my cases then I won't do a, a good job. If I'm not stressed out, if I'm not going full force, I'm not going to do a good job. I can't handle criminal cases as though they're a, a, a real estate closing. <laughs> you know? It's it's not it's not something I can do and and that's not how you, you you're effective. So correct. I agree with you com- completely. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned. There is more to come. Mighty Merp is available on iTunes, Spotify, and all your favorite apps and players. But the best way to experience the show is to visit MightyMerp.com. That's MightyMerp.com. This podcast is not a source of legal advice. No two legal cases are the same. Contact an attorney if you require legal assistance.